Hello, hello, this is Jonathan and you're listening to the Johnny Talks Podcast, the place where we help you achieve your financial goals. Hello, amigos and amigas, and welcome to yet another episode of the Johnny Talks Podcast. In today's episode, we will talk to my friend Mrs. Miller from millersonfire.com. And we will talk about mainly two topics, her journey to fire and wealth guilt. So FIRE, in case you're not familiar with this, uh, FIRE stands for Financial Independence Retire Early. And FIRE is a movement that gained traction in the last, I would say, 10 years in the personal finance space. And it's a movement or it's a concept I haven't really talked about myself on the blog. And so it's a good way to introduce it to you, uh, to you guys by way of this blog and somebody that is actively working to reach this uh, status of financial independence and early retirement. We will talk about it more in detail with Mrs. Miller. And regarding wealth guilt, this is something she wrote about on her blog and I was uh, intrigued by it, so I wanted to discuss it here on the podcast. Mrs. Miller has been doing great in her job and she has had several pay increases, promotion, etc. She currently works as a criminal defense investigator and she's pretty happy in her job. She she really thrives. Nevertheless, uh, some Interesting feeling happened when she reached a certain threshold of her uh, base on her payslip. Is the feeling of guilt? She, she was starting to feel guilty about making that good money, and that kind of intrigued me because I'm like, yeah, well, the more I make, the the more excited I am, and I think most of you are like this. So this is something I wanted to discuss with her: why she felt guilty, where did that come from, and this will make for a great discussion with her. So all in all, I had a pleasant and insightful conversation with Mrs. Miller. I hope you'll enjoy it too and that you will learn something from it. So let's not wait any longer and let's hear it. Hello, Miss Miller. How are you doing today? I am so good. How are you, Jonathan? I'm fine. I'm fine. So uh, yeah, Miss Miller and I, we met at FinCon 19 in Washington, D.C. earlier in uh, September of this year. So uh, yeah, it's, I'm excited to to speak to you. It's been uh, yeah almost no no just a month yeah just over a month. So hope you've been doing well and um, yeah we we, th- we discussed a bit off air and we thought it would be a good idea to exchange ideas on the podcast because I think you have a, an interesting blog and an interesting stories and a few tips for my audience. So I would like to exchange uh, with you about the website, the idea behind it, a few. Um, tips on uh, yeah, spending responsibly, irresponsibly. And mm-hmm. as well, uh, Mrs. Miller wrote an interesting article about wealth guilt. So we'll dig into that a bit later. Um, yeah. And so let's um, get on straight with the with the story or the, the blog, because you write at Miller's on Fire. Can you tell us a little bit what your blog is about? Yeah. So I started the blog back a couple of years ago. I think it was in 2007. Um, and I write about me and my husband's fire journey, our discovery mm-hmm. into fire. And for those who may not be familiar with what fire is, uh, it stands for fi- uh, for financial financial independence retired early. And so I discovered this movement on the internet about. Uh, couples and people who were retiring in their 30s and 40s, um, that was not just, you know, early retirement at 60 instead of 65. This is sort of extreme variation of early retirement, and it just blew my mind. And so I 
uh, read articles and Googled and listened to podcasts about all of these people who um, were retiring in their 30s and 40s and got on that journey. Okay. And so the, the blog is kind of documenting your journey to financial independence and retire, early retirement? Right, exactly. So mm -hmm. we started the the blog or I started the blog um, sort of sharing what were some of the things that we were learning. Um, because when I heard about early retirement and even financial, you know, financial independence, I was a little upset, right? I went to high school, I have an undergraduate degree, and no one ever explained to me exactly what being financially independent meant. And no one explained to me simple things like compound interest, right? Mm -hmm. So I knew that if you didn't pay your credit card on time, that there were some very bad negative effects that the interest would compound on that balance. So I knew that. But I didn't understand and no one explained uh, to me. I didn't know that there was a positive um, option, right? That mm -hmm. compound interest could actually work in your favor, that every dollar that you save could be compounded, could basically multiply without you having to without really having to do much. And so um, not only did I want to share some of the things that we were doing but some of the things that we had learned. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think we, we talked a bit off air. And um, one of the things that you wanted to share is as well that you uh, were, I mean, your spending patterns have evolved, right? You you were spending, you, you told me I was spending irresponsibly prior to that. I don't know if it's linked to the starting with the blog or before, but can you talk about this uh, spending irresponsibly part? Yeah, absolutely. So where I was in 2015, I had come across this article about this couple who had retired early. Mm -hmm. And my first assumption was that they were making six figures, that they were in the tech sector. And of course, they could save all of this money and live off of 50% of their income to be able to retire, right? But what I learned was that this couple made, I think, $50,000 each. So they were a $100,000 household, maybe a $110,000 household. And I said, but wait a minute, how is that possible? I was making a good income. And when I began to look at what I was spending my money on, it was shocking. And so I remember someone asking me um, whether or not I was living paycheck to paycheck. And I wouldn't describe myself as having lived paycheck to paycheck. What was happening was I had enough money to pay all of my bills. Mm -hmm. I was putting some money aside. Sounds and good. And then I was spending, right, right. But, and then I was spending the rest. And what I mean by the rest was $1,000 a month of discretionary income was being spent on absolutely nothing. Like if I look back now, I don't know where that money went. I can imagine some of it went to, you know, unmemorable, unremarkable restaurant experiences. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Some of that went to, you know, um, buying things like clothing and shoes. I had the biggest closet in my life um, at that time. And I had things that I didn't even wear. Um, so I started 
realizing that all the trips to places like Target and the local fast food restaurants and the local sort of fast casual places just was going nowhere. Um, I had a lot of money and I was just spending it and didn't have anything to show for it. Yeah, so you, you didn't really have a, when I hear it like this, it's like you spent occasionally, you didn't really have a plan on how to even spend those thousand dollar, which you had extra every month. So you didn't say, well, this month I will buy this, I will buy that. No, it was a bit like on the go or something like that. Is that how, I, how it happened? No, that's exactly right. I did not have uh, a plan for the money that came in. So as it came in, I just used my debit card, used the credit card, and I spent it because I had it, but I had no plan for it. Okay, okay. Uh, and so the realization of, you know, all the spending habits, uh, this came with this article then, and this is how you started to, to track your money or what, what happened? Yeah, so I actually had a budget. And so what my budget entailed was paying off all my bills. Mm -hmm. I uh, tithe. So I always gave 10% of my money. And then I um, had money, you know, left over. And I never assigned that those dollars a job. I never, I never had a goal for it. So what would happen is that I would just sort of, because I knew that I had flexibility, I would just put that cash or, you know, I'll put those charges on a card. And at the end of the month, I had enough money to pay the card off. And mm -hmm. so I thought I was being responsible. So what, what changes have you made since, um, since that phase actually in your daily budget or in with that extra thousand dollars, if it's unchanged? Right. So once I began to notice that I had all of these credit card bills that were $500, $600, that again, I was being responsible, quote unquote. Mm -hmm. I was being responsible in that I never carried over a balance. That's already But good. I couldn't remember. <laughs> mm -hmm. Right. But I couldn't remember what I spent it on. And so what I did was that I then began to really track things. So I said, you know what? I am going to set aside $100 a month on eating out. I'm going to set um, $100 a month on entertainment. Mm -hmm. I'm going to spend, uh, you know, and I, so I just started categorizing my money. And then the more I got into evaluating what I was spending my money on, I began to realize that there were some things that were a little bit more important and that there were some things that just weren't important to me. It wasn't important to me to go to the movies to watch a movie, right? Mm -hmm. I could wait till the Netflix or Netflix, the movie came out on Netflix or on Redbox or, you know, that I could stream it. So it wasn't important. The, the $15 movie ticket wasn't important to me anymore. Um, spending time with my friends was important, but I actually prefer to cook and barbecue and have people over. And so instead of going out and spending $20, $30, $50 on a meal, I would spend maybe $15, have a bunch of people over, have everybody bring a dish and, you know, spend a, a fraction of what I was spending. And so it wasn't only realizing how much I was spending. It was only, it wasn't only realizing 
um, that I had this money, it was also realizing that there were things that mattered to me. And the, the things that mattered to me that were important to me that were sort of non-negotiables, I kept in the budget. But the other things I said, you know what, it's not bringing any value to me today, or maybe today, <laughs> mm-hmm. but it's not going to bring any value to me tomorrow or next month or a few years from now. I'm going to invest that money. I'm going to save it and I'm going to invest it. And so that was the change when I began to understand what the numbers look like mm-hmm. that, you know, $5 invested today at a return of seven or 10 or 20% return mm-hmm. was going to mean so much more at that time. And I had time on my side because I was, you know, in my early thirties. So that was the shift that happened. Excellent. And you know, we talked about having people over. I mean, what better afternoon can you spend with friends over at a barbecue, having nice conversation and good time? You know, it, it, you said it costs $15, whatever it costs, you know, it probably um, a more worthwhile experience than being uh, at a restaurant and spending a lot of money with a reduced circle. Then if you do it in your house, maybe you have even more friends. I don't know. It's uh, you can do whatever you want. You know, it's uh, it's great. Yeah. And also, you know, maybe you spend at a restaurant, uh, you spend maybe an hour, maybe two hours at a restaurant. Yeah. We would have times on a Sunday, people would be at my house for three, four hours. Exactly. And the quality of the, the time being spent was so much better. Right. So we had this beautiful quality time with no rush where people were comfortable, it wasn't stuffy, and it was just better for me. I didn't have to sacrifice being, you know, spending time with the people that I cared about and the people that I wanted to spend with. Mm-hmm. It was just in a different way. It was finding creative ways to do the things that I liked and to buy the things that I loved. Yeah, I like or that. I should say to... <laughs> Or maybe the other way around, <laughs> to, to do the things that I loved and buy the things that I liked. Yeah, that, uh, that's good. That's li- uh, that, I like that point. Uh, and actually, so the, so the big takeaway, I uh, think, from, uh, from this part is, is to really, whatever income you have, create categories, create, track your income. Oh, sorry, track your, uh, track your spending and mm-hmm. see what is worth for you. What, how creative can you be to optimize Uh, your spending to create meaningful experiences, buy things you are, you like, you love <laughs> and, um, and see what mm. you can do and, and try to reduce and, and optimize with the rest, start investing, for example. And you said investing, you mentioned ratios of, I mean, interest rates of seven, 10, et cetera, percent. What are you, how did, how did you start investing? Yeah. So I was already contributing um, to my retirement fund. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think at that point, I was contributing about 5% of my income. So what I did next was I did 10%. And then I, once I started cutting some of the expenses, I said, what would it look like if I contributed the maximum contribution? And here in the United States, Well, at least for this year, I don't remember what it was back in 2015, 2016, but here in the United States, as of 2019, you can contribute up to $19,000 a year. And then the, and the noticed, employer matches 
the, those 19,000 as well? Or uh... I did. I did have employer matching. So my employer matched 5%. Yeah, that's good. So, so just just for my understanding, so you you put nineteen thousand of your pre-tax salary to your retirement. I mean, and then the company pays as well nineteen thousand or a bit less. No, so they contribute up to five percent of your income. Okay, but it's still so, uh, it's a lot, huh? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, for sure. Um, and and again, this it wasn't nineteen thousand dollars back in two thousand fifteen, two thousand sixteen. I think maybe I'll have to look up the numbers. I think maybe it was about sixteen thousand at that time. But what I realize is, you know, you mentioned the key word there, which was pre-tax. Mm-hmm. I didn't feel the change in my. Um, in my paycheck, right? I didn't really see it all that much because my taxable income had been reduced. So, you know, again, something else that I wish I had understood a little bit better was that, you know, contributing to things like retirement plans that are, you know, tax advantaged accounts Mm -hmm. can reduce your taxable income. So, once I was able to make the maximum contributions, um, it did, you know, obviously my paychecks every two weeks were a little bit less, but not as much as I had thought because of the tax advantage uh, or the tax benefit. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Here in Europe, I mean, when, when you are employed in a company, depending on the companies, I mean, I've been working a bit around, I've been working in Norway, now in Luxembourg, and I've been working one year in France as well. It's, it doesn't work with the same, in the same principle, but your employer should, I mean, or at least uh, they have a pension scheme, so they put some money of your salary proportion to a retirement account as well. And so it will depend a bit on where you live and what the company plan is, but then you can often ask the uh, HR rep to, to get more information on what it's, uh, what it's all about. So, because for example, in Norway, I could, for example, tweak a bit the allocation. So I took a more aggressive uh, allocation, I mean, towards more stocks uh, in, the, in my retirement account. So th- th- this is what I've done. So it depends a bit on the country, but you just uh, if you are in doubt, just ask your HR rep and they should be able to help you. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. You know, because this is very important on huh, the pretext. I mean, your your money grows in the back, and you you don't feel it, as you say, uh, Mrs. Miller. And that that's a great thing because in the end, it will compound over time, and you will have a lot of money saved pre-tax. So that means that you don't if you if I invest now as a as an individual, okay, I will be taxed every year on my profits, or if I sell and trade, whatever having the money grow pre-tax, it, it avoids this tax. I mean, you will be taxed afterwards when you take the money out, but at least you will have benefited from 30, 40, maybe 50 years of, uh, of uh, tax-free uh, grow. And that's important. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and we have, here in the U.S., we have quite a few uh, different uh, tax-efficient accounts, right? Mm-hmm. We have 401ks, 403Bs that tend to be for nonprofit or government workers. We have thrift saving plans that are for people like the military and civilian government workers. Um, But in addition to those pre-tax accounts, right? So this is money that is taken out of your uh, pay. 
Right, exactly. Out of your gross pay that you don't pay taxes on. So if you your pay a month is $4,000 a month, for example, and you contribute $700 every two weeks. So that's $1,400 um, a month. And yeah, that's quite a bit of money, almost, you know, uh, maybe what is that, about a third, if my math is correct. <laughs> um, um, so if you contribute, you know, uh, your paycheck is $4,000 and you're putting aside, let's say $1,000 a month, right? 25%. You're not paying taxes on $4,000 of income, or I should say you're not being taxed on $4,000 of income. You're only going to be taxed on $3,000 of income. Now let that just sit in there, right? Mm-hmm. You have 25% of your income that is not being taxed. That's quite a bit. That's huge. It's huge. So, so most of your actually saving and investing plan is through this retirement or accounts, or do you have other investments uh, venues? So we first, as a household today, mm-hmm. we, uh, both my husband and I, maxim, uh, contribute the maximum to our 401k employer-sponsored retirement plan. Okay. After that, we both contribute after-tax money into something called an individual retirement account, a Roth IRA. So you do pay taxes on that income that goes in, but it grows tax-free and it's... Uh, as of right now, unless the tax rules change, uh, you can actually make withdrawals on that money tax-free. So we maximize um, those accounts as well. And right now, as of 2019, you can contribute $6,000 per person. Excellent. So we also have um, access to something called a health savings account here. Um, And a health savings account is my favorite type of account. Um, I call it the medical 401k Um, and a health savings account for those who may not be familiar with it is a available to people who have high deductible plans. So what does that mean? In order for your health insurance to kick in, you have to meet a certain amount. In our case, we're a family of two we would have to pay any out-of-pocket expenses up to $5,000. Our high deductible plan is actually pretty high, um, but there are some whose high deductible plans start at $2,000. Now, the really cool thing about the HSA that I am a part of is that my employer actually kicks in the first $5,000. And so basically, I have health insurance any out-of-pocket costs would be covered by this $5,000 that my employer contributes to my account. Oh, that's good. Um, right. And so, again, I know not all HSA plans work this way, but this is something that works so well for us. Um, and so what we do is um, a health savings account, the limits for 2019 is $7,000. And again, so this is money that goes in pre-tax grows tax-free and the withdrawals are tax-free. So you have triple tax advantages right there. So that's another type of account that we contribute to. And then after that, my husband does uh, contribute into taxable brokerage accounts and he does individual stock picking. 
Well, it looks like you, you have a plan, huh? and I think it looks like you have a, quite some savings every year that grows in the, in the background. So, that's, uh, so, so do you have a plan when you, you're going to reach this financial independence? It looks like it will happen quickly. Yeah, I hope so. Um, so when we started off this journey, we thought it was going to be about an 11-year journey. We thought um, in 2027, we would hit our financial independence number. Um, but now I think because we've sort of accelerated some of our um, savings and mm -hmm. we've really and also increased our income, We think that we might be able to hit that by the end of 2025, the beginning of 2026. Oh, wow. But, um, Only eight, yeah. six, what is it, seven, six, seven, eight years to go. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. So we're super excited about that. I will say that I focus more on the financial independence side. So I really enjoy my job. I find I have a job that I'm really excited about and I find fulfillment in. My husband focuses on the early retirement okay. side. Yeah. Um, so he says, let me know when we hit that number and I'm leaving the traditional workforce. So mm, yeah. <laughs> oh, we, we shall see. <laughs> Very good. And, and the thing is, okay, maybe I'll get back to, to, to that later, but I want to know, okay, so you're going to be retired in 2025 or 26. What are you going to do with your time? Are you going to continue to work or you, you will travel the world or whatever? I want to do all of those things, Jonathan. <laughs> <laughs> I actually, for the first time this year, took my longest vacation ever, which was two weeks. I know here in the United States, we Two don't weeks. get much. <laughs> I know. I know here in the United States, we don't get much holiday time. Um, so I took my first two week vacation. We spent some time in Ireland and it was beautiful. I had such a great time. Um, but I've always enjoyed traveling. I try to visit a new country every year and I would love to make travel, um, a larger part of our lives. And I don't think I will leave the traditional workforce, to be honest. Okay. Um, well, I, actually, maybe traditional, right? Because traditional means working 40 to 50 hours a week. Mm -hmm. um, so I would like to leave the traditional workforce in that I don't want to be full time, but I would love to continue to do what I do on a contract basis. If I could work 20 to 30 hours a week, that would be great. Or if I could work, you know, maybe six, seven, eight months out of the year and then be able to travel and live in yeah. the way that we want. That is what my plan would be. So it sounds more like a flexibility and uh, mm -hmm. just choosing, I mean, choosing the time to how you want to spend your time, actually. That's how I understand it then. Yeah, that's what it means for me, right? It, it just getting the freedom to do what I want, when I want. Um, there's a couple, you know, other things that I would love to dedicate my time to, including volunteering. Um, I really love this financial um, literacy movement that's going on. And I would love to be able to have time to educate, you know, kids in high school and in junior high school um, to sort of get the fundamentals of what The money management looks like because I wish I had known this when I was 18, 19, 20, or even when I was 14, when I had my first job, mm -hmm. I wish someone had explained what um, wealth accumulation was, for example. Yeah. And I think you, you hit an important point here as um, 
teaching financial literacy to to teenagers or even children actually and what would you say your um, childhood or your financial childhood or or teenage years were looking like how was your money education mm-hmm. yeah i really didn't have much money education um and i think that this is what was the most shocking to me i grew up in a in new york city and i grew up in one of the poorest boroughs actually the poorest borough the bronx mm-hmm. um my family We, when I look back at it now, I thought we were pretty good. We always had food on the table. Uh, both of my parents had cars. They weren't cars of the year. You know, they were probably five, six, seven years old, but we had cars. And, you know, we would get Christmas presents and birthday presents. And so we had the basics of what we needed. Um, there came a point when I was... Uh, in high school and my parents separated where money really became difficult and it was quite a challenge. And I remember, you know, late bill notices sort of piling up and sometimes the cable would get disconnected or the phone would get disconnected. Um, I remember, you know, bill collectors calling the house. So I knew we didn't have enough money to pay the bills. Mm -hmm. And that was the extent of it. Um, I remember my mom sitting down on the kitchen table on Thursdays with a little notebook writing down, you know, rent dollar amount, light bill dollar amount, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) fuel dollar amount. So I that was sort of my idea of budgeting. Right. Like you wrote down what your monthly bills were or the bills that were coming up for this paycheck. And so that was pretty much all I knew about money management. That was pretty much what I knew about money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And do you think that um, <clears throat> you said you, 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 you want to help people get getting better with financial literacy, etc.? And is it the type of um, situations you want people to avoid actually by helping pe- by with your blog or other uh, by speaking or by joining a financial literacy movement? Absolutely. I mean, I think it become, you know, there's a couple different things that can happen to help shift a person's financial situation. One is reducing expenses. Another way is increasing income and keeping your expenses the same, right? You don't increase your expenses as you increase your income. And the third way is to do a combination of the two things, right? Yeah. You increase your income, you reduce your expenses, And then what you do is you save and invest the rest, right? You don't want to do what I did, which was I had pretty low living expenses. I had a good earning, but instead of saving and investing the rest, I just spent it because that was all that I knew to do. I had the money, so why not spend it? I worked yeah, hard. And it's uh, like, natural as well. Huh? To You earn more, you get a promotion at work or whatever. You, you get a, a better salary. Hey, I can upgrade whatever mm-hmm. my uh, subscription to this, subscription to that. I can get the premium subscrip- subscription at the gym. I can uh, maybe now go two mm-hmm. times to the restaurant a week. You know, it's it's natural. Yeah, absolutely. Because you work hard, right? Exactly. You know, if you live in a little 
400 square foot apartment and you can upgrade to 800 square feet, why not? If you could get rid of your 11-year-old car and get a one-year-old car or even a brand new car off the lot, why not? This is what people think. And it's just no understanding of what that really and truly means, right? What Mm -hmm. it means when you buy a brand new car, that as soon as you drive that car off the lot, it's not worth what you just paid for it. Exactly. You you kind of lose your uh, pay raise (laughs) or even more. Yeah. (laughs) Right. And then, so you say, oh, if only I made an extra $200 a month, I would be great. And then you make those extra $200 and you don't even notice it. You yeah. feel like you're in the same situation. You say, well, if only I made an extra $500 a month. Well, then you make an extra $500 a month and you don't realize it because you've um, slowly been inflating your lifestyle, right? This is sort of what some of us in the financial, uh, um, in the personal finance world, we call lifestyle creep, right? Yeah. So you slowly inflate your lifestyle, your, your expenses creep up without you even noticing. Yeah, I know. And, and I've been there myself, huh? you know, as I, uh, was working and making more money and then changing jobs and getting a promotion until my early thirties, I was just increasing my spending. So not, uh, Mm-hmm. Not, not increasing my savings although I've been saving all my life still I was still increasing my savings or my standards of living so at some point as well I started to okay well actually I reached my let's say my fun spending for the for the for the month now I can start saving mm-hmm. and so the next upgrades that came I mean the next uh, pay raises I just put everything in savings or investing actually Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with, you know, increasing, um, you know, your spending. There's nothing wrong with that. As I mentioned earlier, you know, it's just finding those things that are super important to Mm -hmm. you. Um, and you know, doing what you love, but just understand what you're giving up in exchange for that. And when you realize that you could say, you know what, I'm okay with giving that up. No problem for me. Great. That's fine. But a lot of people, and I was one of these that didn't understand what I was giving up, that I was giving up freedom. I was giving up the opportunity to retire at 60 instead of 67 Mm -hmm. or retire at 50 instead of 60. Um, I didn't understand what I was giving up. Yeah, I I understand totally. And it's the same for me. Uh, And I think a a lot of the uh, a lot of the listeners and uh, Miss Miller, this, there was Mrs. Miller. Sorry, there was something uh, I wanted as well to to talk about with you because I read your blog, which is great. There's an article I I, uh, I I thought it was interesting to discuss as well on the on the podcast was the concept of wealth guilt. Can you tell us a, a little bit what is wealth guilt? Mm. Yeah, so I think the term wealth guilt might be a newish term. I don't think that the feeling is new. Um, And this happened to me a few years ago when I hit a milestone in my career and was making the most money that I had ever made. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm pretty open on the blog about our finances um, and what we save and what we make, because I think it helps people understand um, and either 
relate or find similarities in their own story. Um, so a couple years ago, I was um, making about 90, 92 or $94,000 a year. Mm-hmm. And I was about to approach the point where my, in- my salary was going to increase to $100,000. And I felt ashamed. Ashamed? <laughs> I felt ashamed. I know that is not the feeling that you want to feel. I felt guilty, maybe is even a better word. I felt this, I felt like I didn't deserve it. I felt um, guilty. I felt wrong about making that amount of money. Mm-hmm. I knew that there were people, not just in the world, but in my family in my immediate circle of friends who were struggling to pay bills, who were struggling to survive. And here I was single, no children. I was living in a house where I had two uh, roommates who were helping me pay the mortgage. And I just felt like this money was bad. Mm -hmm. I felt, wrong about receiving that money. And when we think about it, the difference between $94,000 a year and $100,000 a year isn't that much. But there was something about crossing into that six-figure mark Mm -hmm. that just really didn't sit well with me. And I didn't have the words. I didn't know what to say. I should have been grateful. I should have been excited. This was fantastic. I could save more. I could spend more. I could do, I had more flexibility to help more people, but this is not what I felt. And one of the things that I realized today was that when you don't have a plan for your money, one of the things that could happen is that you begin to understand how frivolous and irresponsible you're being. Mm -hmm. And I think that that was where my guilt came from. And that was where my shame came from because I couldn't imagine having, you know, a few hundred dollars every month and spending it more on clothes and shoes. And Jonathan, this was a huge issue for me. Mm -hmm. I had so much stuff in my closet that I was storing things in my garage. <laughs> I was practically <laughs> a hoarder. I, like who needs that amount, you know, that many pairs of shoes. And I wish Women I could say I use them all. <laughs> hey, hey, hey. Now I know plenty of men who have a huge sneaker collection. Um, I think, you know, like, I just was buying things because I came, you know, I didn't have much growing up. You know, I got maybe one or two pairs of shoes a year. I got maybe one or two brand new outfits a year. And so when I got to the point where I could just buy things, I didn't have to wear the same outfit in a week. I could wear, you know, I could buy 14 different outfits. (laughs) Um, I know this sounds silly, but when you don't have it and then all of a sudden you do, it, it can make you feel good. And it did feel good. Mm-hmm. 
because you come from a place where you didn't have this opportunity now you have them and now you go a bit bananas like uh it's yeah a, it's a bit like the i mean uh sorry about the image but it's like the the kid in the candy store you know he can only get one candy every saturday as a kid and then suddenly you give him the possibility to, to go to Candyland. So it's like, yeah, mm -hmm. it, it, you go a bit irresponsible. You, you take as many candies as you want. Uh, so it's a bit that image I have. Uh, yeah. So you go from a place of scarcity to overabundance actually. And you, you don't, you, it's hard to manage it. Right. Right. No, that's exactly, I mean, and you know, people do this with so many different things, right? It's not only clothes and shoes. People do this with hobbies, you know, something that starts off, for example, fishing. You love fishing and then you find a new rod and now all of a sudden you want six rods or golfing. Golfing is a very expensive hobby or an expensive sport, mm -hmm. right? You buy a couple golf clubs and now you need, you know, a, a dozen more. <laughs> so there's just so many different things that you could spend your money on. Um, and for me, it was clothes and shoes. And I, you know, I still had a frugal mindset in a way um, mm -hmm. where I didn't spend a lot of money. I wasn't buying, you know, a hundred dollar pair of jeans or two hundred dollar pair of jeans. I wasn't buying luxury handbags because I could never imagine <laughs> doing that. Uh, although now I think about it and I'm like, if I would have just bought one luxury handbag instead of the 30 sort of junk handbags, I probably would have come out better. Uh, but that's a whole different story, <laughs> you know, but I just, I just wanted to fit. It felt so nice to be able to fill my closet. It felt so nice to be able to, you know, have options because I didn't have that growing up. Mm -hmm. And now do you still struggle with this feeling of uh, wealth guilt or have you learned to be comfortable with earning what you earn? No, I, I am a spender for sure. <laughs> um, <laughs> but as far as wealth guilt, I don't feel it anymore. And one of the things that changed was my mindset, right? Mm -hmm. What changed for me was the importance of leaving generational wealth, which I didn't know anything about, and also wealth accumulation. Because my money, my dollars didn't have a job, they didn't have a true purpose. Mm -hmm. The reason why I felt ashamed was because I was being irresponsible with the money. But now that I have a plan for the money, that the money isn't going to you know, three pairs of shoes, brand new shoes every month, that the money isn't going to closet that, you know, gets unworn and forgotten, that the money is now going not only to help me and my husband be financially independent, but also to leave a legacy for our family members, whether that's kids for us in the future or, um, assist in helping my um, nieces and nephews. I come from a big family. I have 10. Oh, wow. <laughs> Whether it's helping them. Yeah, we're, we're helping them, you know, pay for college so that they don't leave college with student debt. That's where the difference came from me. Yeah, so you found a meaning for every dollar you make. So to put them at work in the way you, you decide, actually. Right. That's mm -hmm. exactly right. Yeah. Make your dollars work for you. I, I like that idea. No, that's excellent, mm -hmm. uh, Mrs. Uh, Miller. I love it. And then um, I think we're coming to the end of the show. Uh, I think you, you brought uh, really a lot of good, good points here. And I think it's uh, a lot of food for thought. 
not a lot of points to develop for people who might be spending irresponsibly, who are struggling with wealth guilt, and who wants who wanted to know more about fire. I think that's uh, it, this interview is quite eye opening. So I'm uh, very happy to have had <laughs> you. So thank you for the, for sharing and your time. And, and just before we close off, I have a. Uh, a new section to the podcast because I'm new, so I'm developing new things. So I have a, <laughs> a three quick fire questions for you. Okay, uh, I'm ready. You're ready. Excellent. <laughs> so, uh, Mrs. Miller, we talked a bit about it in the in the episode, but what has been your best investment so far? Uh, by far, it's investing in our um, 401ks and uh, 403bs at work, uh, investing in our retirement plans. That has been huge. Okay. And you track them every month or how do you, do you keep, or do you check once a year or, or do you just put money in there and you, you, you never look at it or how do you do it? Um, I don't make any changes really uh, to our retirement accounts, but I like to look a couple times a month, probably. Um, I like to see the growth. And then when it goes down a little bit, because the stock market has gone down, I just kind of shrug it off. Mm -hmm. uh, but I do like to see where, you know, how the money is sort of growing. Yeah. Okay. And then the second question, um, is there a favorite book that you have? It doesn't need to be personal finance or investments related that you would recommend just to anybody. Uh, yeah. So I have to stick with a personal finance book because this book changed my life. Um, and it's a, a book by J.L. Collins. Um, he wrote a book called The Simple Path to Wealth. That book is eye opening. I um got on the path to financial independence right before this book came out. But a lot of the materials that he writes about is on his blog. And when the book came out, I bought it and I handed this book out as Christmas gifts <laughs> that year because mm -hmm. it was so great. Okay. I, I never heard of this one. So might put it on my wish list as well. Excellent. And then the, the third question is you have... 10, it's the $10 million question, actually. So you have $10 million, $10 million coming in. What do you do with it? Uh, you know, the first thing I would do is buy a Tesla. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think anybody in the personal finance space would probably say that. I am not a car person at all, but this car is just beautiful. I remember the first time I saw one, I was just like, what? Um, <laughs> so That would be like one of the first things I would do. Um, <laughs> but then you still have um, uh, a lot of millions to spend, huh? <laughs> I to, have a lot use. of yeah. I have a lot of millions to spend. Um, I would probably continue to do what I'm doing now, which is set money aside so that I could finally hit that financial independence number. And then I would set up funds for my siblings and my family so that they could have um, that financial independence as well. Um, because... I don't need $10 million to live. I don't, you know, I think sometimes um, the fire community movement gets a little bit of um, criticism because they say, oh, you're depriving yourself. I'm living my best life. I just realized that I don't need to have $500 meals in order to live my best life. So I would set aside money for my Tesla. Mm -hmm. <laughs> And money, you know, to hit financial independence. And I would make sure that my um, close family members would be financially independent, yeah. too. Mm -hmm. And then there's so many great 
um, charities and things like that. Um, and one of those would be for me, um, uh, financial literacy. I think it's super important. I think it could change a nation. It could change a generation for sure. Oh, for sure. I agree with that. Okay. Excellent. So Mrs. Miller, uh, thank you so much. And, uh, if, um, yeah, the audience wants to find you, how can they connect with you besides the blog? Oh, thank you so much, Jonathan, for having me. It's been so fantastic. I am reachable um, on Instagram at Mrs. Miller on Fire. And then, of course, on the blog, millersonfire.com. Excellent, excellent. I'll link it all up in the show notes. Thank you again. And um, we'll speak next time. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much. Much success to you on your podcast. I hope you enjoyed our conversation with Mrs. Miller. And uh, before I leave you, I just wanted to leave you with the quick takeaways from this episode. Regarding fire, uh, the main takeaway was to track your expenses and give a meaning to every dollar, not just to, to have money sitting around there and spend it uh, irresponsibly, as we said, but just to have a role for it. It's okay if you spend on a new pair of shoes or whatever, but just have a role, have a plan for it and track your expenses so that you don't spend on unnecessary stuff, meaningless experiences or things in general that don't bring you joy. I know this sounded a bit like a Johnny Condo right now, but you get the point, right? The second takeaway I've written down was about using tax-advantaged accounts or using as much pre-tax money as possible to let your savings or investments grow as long as possible and delay the taxation as much as possible. Yeah, Mrs. Miller went quite in detail on the US accounts, but of course for every country it will be different. For example, I am in Luxembourg and we have... Home savings accounts, and uh, you can also in, um, save for your retirement in a special account, which will give you tax benefits. Uh, in Norway, when I was living there, there was also a type of home savings account called BSU. You can also save uh, individually for your uh, retirement. It's called IPS. So regardless of where you live, make a search on Google, talk to a financial advisor, go to your bank, and look, of course, on the um, website of the tax authorities. And my last key takeaway is linked to the wealth guilt story. And the fascinating thing here is that we see that the environment in which we grow up shapes our vision or perception or money beliefs and how it affects our money behavior in, in uh, future years. And the good thing that we heard today in Mrs. Miller's story is that your money beliefs can change. It is possible to change your money beliefs by changing your mindset, as Mrs. Miller did, by getting educated reading books, reading blogs, listening to podcasts, etc. So that was it for today. Thank you so much for listening. It really means a lot to me. Make sure you subscribe in Apple Podcast. And of course, please do not hesitate to contact me. If you have any questions or feedback, send me an email, john at johnnytalks.com or connect through social media at johnnytalks on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And amigos, once more, thanks so much for listening and I'll speak to you next time.